Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast for our look at the beautiful game from the Champions League to the National League and beyond. My name is Chess Warren and this week I am joined by Alex Pereira and the excellent Sandra Broby. Now there were some shock results over this weekend to prove that it is all still to play for in this WSL season. But the action started on Friday night with Arsenal versus Chelsea at Borehamwood. Despite it being goalless, it was a thriller between the top two. It was a sellout crowd at Kings Meadow, and Viviana Miedemar struck the post during a bright spell for Arsenal in the first half. The Gunners almost won it late on when back-to-back corners were scrambled off the line by Chelsea defender Millie Bright. But the drama didn't end there, as there was eight minutes added time, and during that time, Jesse Fleming had a goal disallowed for offside. And there were also huge penalty appeals for handball by Leah Williamson from the host. Emma Hayes obviously thought it was a penalty, but Jonas disagreed. Idaval also said that the real tragedy was not that it was a goalless draw, but it was the fact that it was being played to 3,000 people instead of in front of 30,000. Now, Alex, most people agreed, I think, that despite it being goalless, it was still a brilliant game in the WSL. Yeah, definitely. And it really does go to show that despite COVID, women's football is really on the rise. It is a shame that was only 3,000 instead of 30,000. But I think the more we get games on TV, free-to-air TV, things like that, it's only going to boost the game and hopefully get women to play in bigger stadiums. Do you think it's time that the London clubs, Kings Meadow, uh, Chelsea at Kings Meadow and Arsenal at Borehamwood respectively, need to be looking for bigger stadiums? Because, I mean, with the FA strategy themselves, they want, by five years' time, to average 6,000 people going to the games each week. That isn't physically possible at those smaller venues. So what do you think those clubs are going to have to do? No, it's not. But I think marketing plays a key role in these decisions because if something's not marketed well then no one's going to want to go and watch it. And I think, you know, we've seen games sell out at Kings Meadow, at Boreham Wood, even at Man City's ground. It's now taking that and making it into a product that is viable, not just for teams like Chelsea, Arsenal and City, for the lower teams in the league like Reading. Because although Chelsea Chelsea and Arsenal are the top dogs this season, we can't, We can't not comment on Reading's current form. I think they've got the best form out of all the teams. They've only lost one game, which is amazing. And I think the appetite is there for women's football. It's just how do we we take it from where it is now and package it and market it in a way that it doesn't feel too commercialised? But isn't that the nature of football anyway? There's the spirit of the beautiful game, but we're going off track here, but... To talk about commercialisation, you look at how the Premier League, for example, is played over a significant amount of channels, BT Sport, Sky Sport, and also on Amazon Prime now. Um, So isn't football inherently commercial? In a sense, yes. But I mean, more because I saw a tweet this morning from Paddy Power saying, oh, the Premier League, the men's Premier League needs to get a bit more like the NFL and be commercialised in that sense. So I don't agree with that, but I agree with definitely putting it on more channels so that there's more content out there and there's more there's more women's football talked about because and more coverage is a positive in my books. Getting back to the game though, I want to say that it was good that Arsenal were able to hang on for this for 
this game for it to end nil nil. But it that just really shows that we expect Chelsea to be dominant in these sorts of fixtures. This was a must-win game for Arsenal if they want to carry on for the title, the title charge. And they did actually let it slip. Will they be kicking themselves? I think yes and no, because from the games we've seen this season between Chelsea and Arsenal, Arsenal got first blood with the first game of the WSL. Then Chelsea bounced back in last season's FA Cup final, which was played this year. So they were one apiece. So this one was really going to be all cards drawn. So to the fact that, yeah, people say, oh, it's women's football, it's a nil-nil draw. But it had so much in it. People were defending off the line. People were defending off their hearts. And it was just a really, really great ad- advert for the women's game because I feel like had it been sort of a men's game, it probably would have been hyped up a lot more. And it'd been like, yes, it's amazing and this thing and that. But we haven't really seen, we've seen some coverage of this amazing match, but not as much as we should. And I think that therein lies the problem. Emma Hayes felt that maybe the amount of games um, that Chelsea have had recently have caught up with them a little bit. Do you agree? I think yes and no, because yes, they've played a lot of games, but so have Arsenal. But they also did have in December a couple of weeks break due to COVID. So maybe it is made the after effects of that. But I think the performance from both teams was phenomenal. It's disappointing that no team was able to go on and grab the win. But I do think perhaps maybe had we had VAR and the technology, some of those close decisions perhaps could have been overturned because particularly the one at the end was a clear handball. I, I don't care what team you support, it was a clear handball. I think the one involving Jess Carter was 50-50 and then the other penalty incident I didn't see, but it just feels like if the men can have VAR, why can't the women? Because it's all about having a level playing field, but yet the women still aren't having that level playing field and they're not having the technology afforded to them. And we saw something similar with the handball incident, we saw something similar in the Club World Cup final, um, which Chelsea ended up winning on a penalty. So how can technology be used in that instance, but not in the WSL? But I think that then comes back down to the original point I was making at the start of, of this of this set of questions of they need to be looking for bigger stadiums. For If you are expecting 6,000 people to come to a fixture each week, and you don't have a stadium to facilitate that, what are the London clubs going to do? Because at Kings Meadow and Bournemouth, they, I don't think they would be able to input the technology to have VAR just from the size of the stadiums. At Lee Sports Village, for example, they, they will. And at the Academy Stadium, I would argue that they have the space to as well. Uh, some of them are being played in the men's stadiums. It's not necessarily about being played in the men's stadiums, but just being able to facilitate the amount of people that they want to see watching those games. And then also they would be able to input the technology needed to put it on that kind of that level. What do you think those London clubs are going to have to do? Where are they going to look for those stadiums? It might be a case of talking to their male counterparts, seeing if they can help them out a little bit, because I know the Arsenal women's team are able to play some of their games at the Emirates. I'm not sure how many a season, but I think that could really help just because the Emirates obviously has the technology. But I think 
like you say, you there are certain stadiums in London that they could turn to if they want to use the technology. I think it perhaps is one of those where you sit down with like the chairmen and the presidents of the clubs and see, yes, we're, we're some of the best clubs in the country. How can we progress to the next level and ensure that with that comes technology and all this and all that? So it's probably one for a bigger discussion than we can have on this podcast. <laughs> There was another big game on Sunday and that was the Manchester Derby at the Academy Stadium, which was a sold out showing and the BBC reporting that the attendance was a record for the Academy Stadium. I was one of the 5,317 in attendance. Sandra, I believe you were as well in the biting cold and rain. As much as it pains me to say it, Manchester City absolutely dominated this fixture, especially in midfield. United sat back in a defensive shape and weathered the storm of repeat attacks from Hemp and Park. Mary Earps had some fine saves throughout the game to deny City of hitting the back of the net. And although United attempting to attack, attempted to attack, as Russo was being used to aid Onobadier in controlling Hemp, when the ball was moved to Toon or got to Brun, it really had nowhere to go. Tactically, the shape just was not right for the Red Devils. In the 81st minute, substitute Caroline Weir did it again. Almost an identical, beautiful chip goal to the one she scored against United a year ago in the top right of the net. Nothing Earps could do. And I was left with my red scarf in a sea of blue flags that erupted with cheers. The game ended 1-0. A notable performance I actually want to mention was Demi Stokes for Sissy, who seemed to take more of an attacking role in this fixture to support the strikers in moving the ball up the pitch. I also want to give a little shout out to Martha Thomas's grandparents, who I met after the game, who've braved the weather to cheer on their granddaughter and had a really nice retro United scarf on. I appreciated that. Now, Sandra, you were there. What went wrong for United? They seem to be completely overrun in midfield. Did Skinner give City too much respect by playing defensively and shying away from that style of attacking football that is the so-called United way? Um, I'd say, I mean, I, I, I can't blame you for wanting to keep a you know, decent defensive shape, particularly as City are starting to come back into form. I mean, the previous game, that loss against Chelsea was narrow. Uh, not, sorry, that, that uh, yeah, so it was, it was narrow. So, I mean, they're, they're getting their groove back. You know, they've got Bronze has come back and she's looked impressive since she's come back. As you mentioned, Stokes has looked really good. Um, you know, so you, you can't blame... United for wanting to keep that kind of shape because if you, I guess if you go too gung ho with City with some of when they've got players like Hemp who's in such good form, like Jess Park who's finding her feet, you know it, it's you could you know endanger yourself of being left exposed. It was, I mean, it was ironic that it was going to be Caroline Weir who who did that, who you know another stunning goal, um, you know that everyone's talking about that you know that that gives City the win that they need. Um, but they, they they just were so aggressive. Oh, you know, every time they it, when they didn't have the ball, they were just back on United. They were just quite aggressive in how they were playing. In particular, I think you know Lauren Hemp going forward was just dangerous, and, and she deserved the goal. It's just unfortunate for her she couldn't convert. Uh, you know, a few of the chances she had, and White Ellen White came close as well. Um, they just looked dangerous, particularly on on you know when they were flying forward with Hemp with Park as well. It was just I think they just kind of overran. Uh, City, particularly on on the flanks, particularly Lauren Hemp, was just too rapid and too powerful going going forward. Caroline Weir really does know how to switch it on in these games, as we said, with an almost identical goal to the one she scored last season. 
City are seeming to get back on their form now. Alex, do you think their earlier season woes are over? You'd like to think so, but with the way this season has been, it's been very unpredictable and very hard to sort of pick. Because at one stage, we thought City were going to run away with the title, then Arsenal, then Chelsea. So it is difficult to predict what is going to happen. But I hope, for City's sake, they're kind of over that rough period that they had at the beginning of the season. Now, United captain Katie Zellum has been criticised as well. Um, In the post-match interview, she used the nicknames of City players and was seen um, laughing and joking with them on the pitch, as were many of the players after the game, some of whom are her England teammates. Do you think that's easy pickings or is it a valid criticism that there isn't enough, shall I say, passion for wanting to get that win that you're able to speak with and joke with the people you were playing against after the match? Or do you think that it was just taken out of proportion, Sandra? I think so. I mean, you have to, the women's game, that the rivalry between City and United is still fairly new. I mean, United have only been in the WSL for a few seasons. Um, you know, some of those players have like Alex Greenwood has played together with, with, with um, Zellum in the past. And it's, it's, a, it's a completely new rivalry and and I don't think you know United went I don't think it's this thing of oh you know we're not trying to compete or what have you or it's too buddy buddy because we see also in the men's game that players talk players chat their friends with each other they you know in the national team um you look at the England men's national team I know years ago they used to talk about how um back in the days of Gary Neville and, and the like that Man United would have their table Chelsea would have their table and who else other players would have their table and there was a divide whereas there's more camaraderie, it appears, from what I can see in the women's game and, and that United City rivalry is fairly new. It is a rivalry. I do think, you know, despite the result yesterday, United would have been wanting to go there to win. So I don't think, you know, we could put too much into like Zelem having a chat or speaking to players after the game because obviously she's going to be speaking to them in a few days anyway because of the Arnold Clark Cup. So... <laughs> Yeah, I thought the same. I thought they're literally going to be seeing each other this, e- uh, this evening, pulling up to Middlesbrough. Like, why, why are people angry? But they, they, people thought some people thought it was valid criticism. So I did think it was worth a mention. Elsewhere in the WSL, in the Midlands, Spurs leapfrog Manchester United into third as they beat Birmingham 2-0. It took until 66 minutes for Rihanna Skinner's side to take the lead when Ashley Neville pounced on a rebound for her second goal in two games. Rhea Percival tapped home from close range to seal a deserved win. Spurs are now just four points off the leaders' Arsenal, who are just two behind Chelsea, who are in second with a game in hand. Rianne Skinner praised her side for their patience and was pleased as well with her side keeping a clean sheet. Spurs aren't going away, are they? They're creeping up everywhere. Yeah, I feel like for this season, it's been a tale of two halves because in the beginning of the season, they were a little bit hit or miss, still trying to find their feet. And now towards the back end of the season, they've really found their form. And, you know, they're restoring some pride to Spurs and Tottenham, considering the men are not doing so great. So, you know, if in doubt, support the women's team, you might have more luck. They have a target now on their back as well, don't they? As both of the Manchester clubs are behind them. But Spurs still have to play Chelsea twice and Manchester City away and also Arsenal away. So do they? Do you think they still have the ability to stay in this title race or the race for top three? Possibly, but that is 
quite a tough ask to go on and say to your players, go on and win those games, especially Chelsea are in great form, Arsenal are getting back to their good form, City, you know, City are one of those teams that never say die. So Spurs are really going to have to be on it if they have a chance of taking any points from any of those teams. Now, Sandra, for Birmingham, it was their fourth successive loss and they're now seven points behind Everton, who crucially have two games in hand. Is it curtains for Birmingham? Is it the end? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, we've seen from early in the season that they are capable when they need to be of, of pulling off a, a shock and, and if they need to be putting in, a, a, you know, and performance, diehard performance uh, against the top side, as we saw with that result against Arsenal. And there are still so many games that I wouldn't completely, because um, there are still so many games left, I wouldn't completely write them off as, as yeah, it all depends on w- what happens, I guess, you know, in, the, in that first, um, first four games after the international break. But I wouldn't completely write them off, given it's down there, it's very kind of like a very competitive at the moment. Obviously, Leicester have done quite well. The second win on the bounce for them which I'm sure will please Lydia Bedford. She's doing a really good job with the team, but I wouldn't completely write Birmingham off yet. I think like the title race, it may well go down to the last few games. It was also a crucial day at the bottom as Leicester made it back-to-back wins as they swept aside West Ham. Leicester were two up after just nine minutes thanks to a freak goal from Natasha Flint as she chased down Mackenzie Arnold's clearance and Ashley Plumptree added a second. Freya Gregory completed the scoring five minutes into the second half. Lydia Bedford says the squad are playing with belief and confidence. Hammers midfielder Kate Longhurst posted after the game that the only thing worse than the conditions on the pitch was the performance of West Ham as the Pirelli Stadium ground was torn up by teams in the weather. Now, Alex, when Lydia Bedford came in, they were bottom with no points and they're now eight points clear of Birmingham. She's doing a fine job, isn't she? What do you think? Yeah, it's such a turnaround. Like when you take, it's always risky when you come in as a manager and you, the team you're managing is bottom of the league. But it's a phenomenal effort to be eight points clear and to really hopefully, you know, climb a few more places in the league. Why not? They're playing good football. Why not? Sandra, what do you think about Lydia Bedford's turnaround of Leicester? I think it's impressive. I mean, one thing that I can see from what she's done is she's she's very much given her background in terms of what she does. She's, you know, she's doing with England and, you know, working with a lot of youth uh, prospects. She's very much about bringing and um, cultivating young talent. And what she's done in terms of her approach to the transfer market, getting the likes of Freya Gregory, Missy Goodwin in on, you know, on loan. And then obviously... More importantly, instilling confidence in the side that they can get, you know, put in a performance like they did against uh, West Ham and also having an approach that now seems to be bearing fruit. She's done a very good job. And obviously you can, you can say, see from the results that the morale of the team is high. Their confidence is high on the pitch. Jess Sigsworth, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, last week there was controversy around um, the sending off and then obviously the, the penalty that happened. But she's got them putting in uh, uh, performances in, and and 
adapting to what, what, whatever the formational philosophy is that she wants to deliver on the pitch. So that's bearing fruit and she seems to be doing a good job. What went wrong for the Hammers then? Because it seemed very unlike them to fall apart in this way, especially in front of a Leicester side. West Ham seemed to have, they were on the upward turn at this part of the season, putting in strong performances, really resilient performances. And we didn't really see any of that today. So what do you, what do you think went wrong there, Sandra? Could just be a case of bad day, bad day at the office. I think for West Ham, it's it's unlike that's unlike them, and that you know just Leicester just were just too good on the on on the day. So um, I expect West Ham to, again to come back. I mean, they're very resilient side, quite tough to break down sometimes. So it, it, you know, and it could, as you mentioned, the conditions that might have also um, been a factor. So it's just maybe just one of those days and one for, for West Ham. Everton are now second bottom as they lost to Aston Villa, who have now won two of their last three games. Emily Gleenick tapped in Jill Scott's overhead kick, which is beautiful, by the way. Please go back and watch it on the replays if you can. And Ramona Petzelberger steered home Alicia Lehman's cross to secure a deserved win. The victory leaves Villa in ninth. Everton have only won once at home this season and seem to be stuck in a rut, especially with several players out of contract. They've got one point from their last five games. For Everton, this was supposed to be a season of progression. Alex, nothing really seems to have come from it, has it? What do you think is the issue there? There's there's probably a couple of issues that we, I guess we'll never really know the answer to. I think changing managers halfway through the season hasn't helped. There just doesn't seem to be that bond and unity in the team that other teams have. Probably there, There's probably a lot of things going on behind the scenes that we're not privy to that's probably affected a lot of the performance perhaps the former managers tactics and formations perhaps didn't fit Everton but it is such a decline for them this season they've had as many managers as they have had wins in the WSL season so far and Willie Kirk was critical of the club um, saying that he's gone Vassar has gone, so where does the club go from here? It's a good question, is it? Isn't it, Sandra? Where do Everton go from here? Well, I mean, the, the first thing I guess is first is to you know try and get more points back on the board, as well as picking up a win to to, to boost um, confidence. I think also the challenge uh, for for them is that, that they had a number of new players come in, and obviously Willie Kirk had, must had a plan must have had a plan in mind when he was bringing in those players including promising rising stars like Han- Hannah Benison so it, I mean it's unf- I think as as Alexandra mentioned it's the change of management you know two managers gone probably hasn't helped because Willie Kirk had his way of doing things obviously Jean-Luc Vasseur would have had his way of doing things which uh, you know obviously the, the, the club weren't happy with it's. I think the main thing is they just have to get some points on the board and avoid. I mean, they are being they pulled in being pulled into a relegation fight now. Even though they've got a few, you know, decent points advantage over Birmingham, that they're you know you're second from bottom. And I mean, it's a shame considering last season and at the start of this season there was much talk of how, how you know, they were being considered as a potential side that's going to break that, you know, top three dominance of Arsenal, Chelsea, and Man City and yet that hasn't quite happened this season. They've had the results they've had. So I think the main thing is they have to just, even if it's a draw, when they come out of the international break, just get some some points on the board, some more points. Completely. And personally, what I thought was the shock, the shock result of the weekend, Reading 
have been on a very good run recently, but they were brought crashing back down to earth by a crushing defeat at Brighton. Kaylee Green's double made it a fantastic day for Hope Powell's side. Aylan Whelan bundled in a third before Emma Coivisto made it four. Amelia Eichland scored a late consolation for Reading, a beautiful goal, by the way, who dropped down into sixth. Brighton ended their club record seven-match unbeaten WSL winless run with this win. What do you think of this fixture? Was it a surprise for you, or do you think what Hope Powell has got her side back on track, Sandra? Not really a surprise, because we've seen Brighton do this before. They did it last season when they went through a difficult run. You know, they I remember that Bristol game and, you know, the, the kind of like the reaction to that. And then went to Chelsea, they had to win, they needed the points and they just got the win, put the, you know, but yesterday's was really impressive because of the number of goals scored. Kaylee Green in particular is such a grafter and a, she's, you know, a trusted figure at, at Brighton and, you know, they did, they did really well. It was a good all-round team performance. It was good to see them bounce back from a, from a difficult run. So it doesn't surprise me considering what they did last season at, the, at Kings Meadow at Chelsea. Alex, do you think Brighton need to learn a, to be a bit more consistent? Yeah, I always say consistency is key no matter what sport it is. And I think Brighton are one of those sides that they're kind of like a bogey side in a sense because on their day, they will just go out and they'll beat you like that. Like they did it to Chelsea last season. So for Brighton, it is just about consistency. Let's move on and look at the championship next. Liverpool maintained their lead at the top of the division as they beat Sunderland 3-0. It took a while for the breakthrough to come, but then the visitors had Neve Heron sent off in the 47th minute. And then two minutes later, American Katie Stengel gave Liverpool the lead from the penalty spot. Yana Daniels doubled the lead in the 86th minute before score before a second penalty in stoppage time for Missy Bokerns made it comfortable. They are now 10 points clear of London City, who thump Crystal Palace 5-1. They were three up before half-time with goals from Charlotte Fleming, Amy Rogers and an own goal from Grace Coombs. They added a fourth six minutes into the second half with Molly Rouse. Millie Farrow pulled a goal back, but Rogers added her second to make it comprehensive. Charlton are third and kept their unbeaten run going after a 1-1 draw at Coventry United. Elise Hughes had given Karen Hill's side the lead two minutes from time, Katie Wilkinson equalised to give Coventry United a slim hope of avoiding the drop. Another slip-up for Durham, who are now fifth, a leapfrog by Bristol City, who won 3-0 in the northeast. Two goals from Abby Harrison, who became the club's new all-time record goalscorer in the process, gave the Vixens the lead at half-time. They increased their lead right at the end of the game through Chelsea Loney, Aggie Beaver-Jones. This is now four wins out of five for Lauren Smith's sides. This is a great achievement for Abby Harrelson, isn't it? She's only 24. She's got plenty more years ahead of her to break records. Do you think she's going to be one to watch maybe for some WSL sides? Yeah, I mean, when Bristol was still in the WSL, Abby Harrison, um, you know, there were a couple of some some really good performances that she put in. She's a very hardworking forward. I thought she, she at that time she linked up well with Ebony Saban when she was still there. You know, even though they're kind of similar, I think, well, I, I feel, um, type of players. So she's definitely, uh, you know, she's always been one to watch. She's very talented. So, yeah, most definitely 
and it'd be you know good to at some point one day see Bristol back in the WSL if they can make that return. Yeah, I completely agree. Lewis will be looking to get into the top five. They are only three points behind with a game in hand. They secured a 2-0 win at Watford thanks to goals from Georgia Timms and Amelia Hazard. Watford remained second bottom and are now looking over their shoulders. On to the National League now and filed went back top of the North Division thanks to a 2-1 win over Nottingham Forest. They had to do it the hard way as Rachel Brown gave Forest the lead early in the second half. Faye McCoy got the equaliser and then drama in the 98th minute as Sasha Rose in swinging corner was flagged as being over the line. They leapfrogged Derby and Wolves who didn't play. There was another late winner, this time at Loughborough Lightning as they beat West Brom. Chloe Young gave the Lightning the league from a free kick. West Brom fought back and equalised with a penalty, but Emily Gunn's stoppage time winner moved Loughborough four points clear of the relegation zone. The other game in the division saw Stoke City claim all three points away at Bridgehouse Town, winning 3-0. It was an eventful day in the South Division. Leaders Ipswich were 2-0 up at Crawley Wasp before the game was abandoned after the 63rd minute due to a waterlogged pitch. That meant that Oxford closed the gap to two points with a game in hand. In tough conditions, they they won 2-1 away at London Bees. Beth Lumsden gave Oxford United the lead before Danny Puddleford equalised. But on the 62nd minute, Daisy McLaughlin headed home a corner. Southampton a third, six points off the top with four games in hand. They won 2-0 at Bridgewater United with Ellie Pusey scoring the pick of the goals to give Marianne Spacey Kale a nice birthday present. At the bottom, Plymouth's mini revival has ground to a halt as they went 3-2 down at Gillingham. They do only remain three points from safety, as do MK Dons, but they also fell to defeat at Cardiff City. Chichester and Selsley are only two points off safety now as they won 3-1 against the team directly above them, Canesham. So it's all hotting up at the bottom. Let's turn our attention to the upcoming international tournaments. The Arnold Clark Cup starts next week. England will face Canada, Spain and Germany. And we're going to be covering some of the games here at the Women's Football Podcast. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 to get all of the updates. We'll be at both games being held in Middlesbrough and also at Wolverhampton. Although, if I'm being completely honest, with the durously February weather up in Middlesbrough, I'd rather be going off to the Pintar Cup, which is being held in Spain. Scotland and Wales are taking part alongside the Republic of Ireland, Poland, Hungary, Slovakia and Belgium. Sandra, it's an interesting little tournament, isn't it? It's one that's piqued real interest across Great Britain. What are you? Th- what are your thoughts before both the Arnold Clark Cup and the Pintar Cup? Well, it'd be good to see, and as you mentioned, Scotland the whole. It'd be good to see how Wales do, with particularly with some of the young talents they're bringing through, both from the WSL and outside of it. Um, you know, Rebecca from the press that she did last week, Rebecca Granger was saying that morale's really good in the team. And that um, she's looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, how well the likes of like Esther Morgan do, how they fare. And she also talks about the kind of res- uh, roles of responsibility that the Wales players have. Like there are leaders right across the team, whether they are the more senior players uh, who've been there a long time, like the likes of Helen Ward and um, 
you know, and uh, uh, Jess Fishlock, and then obviously the, some of the younger players who are coming through as well, there are leaders amongst them. So it would be good to see how they do, how they fail, and also just the Republic of Ireland um, um, in terms of what they're doing. So, yeah, it is an interesting tournament. It would be interesting to see if, if Scotland retain uh, the cup. And as for Arnold Clark, I mean, I, it's, it's great that England have got that coming right ahead of the Euros, and in particular, the calibre of the opposition uh, that's been lined up for them. Um, the Spain, for example, have been earmarked as potential favourites for the Euros. So we could see how England fare against them, how they fare against Germany, given the last time they faced them, it was, it was a 2-1 loss, I think, at Wembley uh, before COVID hit. So it'd be interesting to see how England are now, how they fare against this much tougher opposition, given, you know, they've had... Uh, they played minnows in the World Cup qualifiers recently. Alex, do you think this will help England um, steer away from any shock defeats in the Euros coming up in the summer with the calibre of the opposition that they get to play in this tournament? I think they'll be sort of relishing the chance to play opposition sort of more on their level. No disrespect to some of the teams that they've played, but to beat certain teams like Latvia, 20-0, Hungary, 10-0, it's not really challenging England, but by them going up against the likes of Poland, Spain, etc., it's really going to challenge them. And it's going to really see where their football is at the minute and how much it can improve before the Euros. And in our previous tournament that England were getting into, the She Believes Cup takes place over in America. Many people believe that this tournament is diluted a little bit due to the nature of their opponents. The US will be playing the Czech Republic, New Zealand and Iceland in this tournament. Has the She Believes Cup lost a bit of its sparkle this season or is it just taking a different direction? Um, Maybe possibly just taking a different uh, direction. Me, I'm just in terms of New Zealand, I'd just be interested to see if Rebecca Stott, you know, if she, you know, how she does, if she gets the run out. I mean, her her kind of experience over the last year or so and her comeback, um, from her, you know, um, Hodgkin's lymphoma, having having that and having the treatment for that and then making the comeback and playing football again is remarkable. So I'd be interested to see how, how New Zealand fare, how, how USA fare. Um, in particular, there's a lot of like talk around Trinity Rodman, another, you know, young rising star within the US team. So it'd be good to see how some of the younger players in the US side um, do at, at this tournament, how they fare in the tournament. And yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, I'd just be interested to see how Rebecca Stott does if she gets that run out. That's it for this week. Don't forget to subscribe via all good podcasting platforms and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and the Women's Football Podcast on Instagram. Have a great week and see you all soon. <laughs>